So this morning, we're moving into part three of our series called Devoted. We're looking at the life of Daniel. Now, in the book of Daniel, there's a lot that has to do with, with prophecy, and we may touch on some of it. We'll, we'll glimpse at it a little bit this morning, but the primary focus of this series is to look at Daniel's life, to look at his life, and to, to learn from his life and the life of his friends, their example of what it means to be devoted to the Lord. What does it look like to be devoted to him? And so in the first two weeks, we just looked at the circumstances Daniel finds himself in. And we just, we just noted that it's easy to look around ourselves. And when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, for that to be the driving force of how we operate. You know, I just look at my life. I look at what's happening around me. And then I just go, you know, all right, let me just do my best to navigate through this. And life sort of just happens at me. It's also really easy for us to just be wrapped up in the people who are around us and to be deeply influenced by the people and the culture around us. And, and without even realizing it, the way we live, what shapes the directions that we take is just shaped by what we're absorbing from one another. But the reality is being devoted to God, it anchors us so that the real thing that steers us in this life is him. He steers us, he gives us direction. And so as our character is shaped in the middle of any circumstance, in the, middle, in the middle of a culture that runs in direct opposition to Jesus, I can find myself anchored with a track to walk on by being devoted to Jesus Christ. So that was a rough sketch of week one. Last week, we looked at some of the challenges that take place. When I decide to actually step into being devoted, like I can purpose in my heart, I wanna be devoted, but... I mean, if we don't walk that out, it's, it's like a New Year's resolution that fades after a few days. Actually walking out the process of being devoted to the Lord, that costs us something. And so saying a yes to him is often gonna mean saying no to a lot of other things. Sometimes even saying no to other good things. But if they're pulling us away from him, things are out of sorts. And when I'm saying yes to all of this, whether I mean to or not, I'm saying no to him. But the opposite is also true. When I'm willing to look at my life and say, Lord, I want you to be my aim and my focus. And so I'm able to say no to things that distract me, that rip me off by saying yes to you. And that resounding yes enables me to say no to the things I need to say no to. And so we looked at, we looked at that aspect of, of being devoted and that's challenging. And another aspect we looked at is the people around us. When we begin to purpose to live devoted lives that will contradict people around us. Living faithfully devoted to Jesus is a narrow path and few find it. And people outside the church and inside of the church, when we walk a devoted life, that stands out and it, it comes across as a critique. Now, I'm not saying we should judge or critique people. I'm just saying it will. When I live faithfully like that, people notice. But if we learn to walk well, that faithfulness with the Lord, he'll give us that wisdom to not compromise our devotion, but also not to settle for just being a condemning, judgmental person either. I can walk that road loving Jesus, following him, and my life instead of being a critique can be an invitation. Because as Daniel purposed to walk this road, three other guys took note and they said, we want in on that. And so he had some companions that walked with him. All right, so that's where we've been so far. So let's pray, invite the Holy Spirit to come and be our guide this morning. As, as we talk now um, about devotion, as it relates to our perspective, our perspective, that's what we're talking about today. So Lord, we love you. We just invite you again one more time. May your word come alive to us today. God, help us not just to learn from Daniel's um, example, but God, would you speak to our hearts about how to apply this? Lord, how do we walk out being devoted to you and watching that shift and change our perspective of the circumstances around us, of what you're doing in the midst of our everyday lives. God, more and more, may our default be to look to you 
in all times, in all situations, no matter what's happening around us. Jesus, it's in your name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so Daniel chapter two opens um, with the story of King Nebuchadnezzar and he's had a dream. And this dream is like, it's interrupted his sleep. He's disturbed by it. He doesn't understand it. Um, He's unsettled and he's anxious to discover what is going on with this dream. He has a deep sense that it means something and he wants to know the meaning of the dream. And so the first kind of 12 verses, I'm just gonna recap them a little bit. We'll read a couple of them in a minute. But he wakes up and he demands that all of his counselors come um, to help him out. And so Daniel and his friends, you know, they had been in training for three years to become a part of this much larger group of counselors, sorcerers, astrologers, soothsayers, like, like people that would use different means in order to bring, you know, quote unquote, wisdom to the king to help him govern and make good decisions. And so there's this large group of people. Now Daniel's friends are a part of this. And so the king wants his counselors to come and to tell him not just what his dream meant. He's saying, I want you to tell me what my dream was. So I'm giving you zero information. You tell me my dream. You tell me what it means. They're nervous. And so they're kind of like, well, listen, if you tell us the dream, we can kind of help sort out what it might mean. So you give us the dream, we'll give you the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar starts sniffing this out and he's like, no, 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 no. You guys are trying to get off easy. How can I trust that you aren't just lying or making something up? The way I'm gonna know that you're speaking the truth is if you can tell me what the dream is, then I'll be able to trust your interpretation of it. And so there's this little back and forth. And so finally the king threatens them with death. So check this out, verses eight and nine. After some back and forth with these counselors, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. And that's death, he'd already told them. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. So he calls them out for stalling. He says, right now is the time. I want my answer. Now, it would be really easy to quickly skip ahead and look at how Daniel handles this situation. But we need to understand the direct contrast between how Daniel responds and how the so-called wise of the day responded. So take note, verses 10 and 11. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Listen to their response. Their response is panic. Like they're, they're freaked out. They get defensive. Like they're blaming the king. He's in charge and they're, they're so panicked. They're getting defensive and kind of putting it back on him. They lash out. They feel as if they are in an impossible situation and notice the gods that they supposedly up to this point have received wisdom from they're saying our gods are distant from us. We have no way even to connect with them. Now, it would be easy to look at this and just go, well, those are pagans and an old ancient culture in Babylon. What does this have to do with me sitting here on a Sunday morning? Everything, everything. Consider this situation. First of all, some of these folks are in the exact same boat Daniel's friends are they've already gone through an unbelievably difficult life circumstance. They've been ripped from their home and their family. They've watched the place they know and love be ransacked. They're now in captivity. They're like just kind of happy just to be alive and have made it through this. And now the king is saying, if you can't solve this impossible problem, you're dead. Talk about going from bad to worse. You ever been in one of those seasons of life where it just feels like you can't get ahead? 
Like just as soon as you, you get your head above water a little bit and catch your breath, it's like somebody filled up the pool a little bit more. <laughs> Am I the only one? Like guys, there are times in life where we just feel stuck, overwhelmed, the circumstances, it just like it keeps piling on. And it's so easy when we're in those circumstances to do what these guys did, to panic, to lose our stability, to get angry, defensive, feel like it's unfair, maybe even to blame God. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that. This isn't fair. How could you let this happen? I thought I could trust you. Where are you? They felt like it was an impossible situation and that their gods were distant. I felt like that. I felt like that, but in situations in life that caused me to feel trapped, stuck, uncertain of what I'm gonna do. And I've often felt like in those moments, God was very distant. Just being real. Just being real. So Daniel now, he's about to face the consequences because these other folks had no answer for this problem. So we don't know exactly how many of the counselors came before the king, but it's at least evident from the story that Daniel and his friends weren't a part of it. You know, I don't know if they were still kind of some lesser known guys. They were, they were newbies to the crowd. They didn't get invited. But they're still a part of the same punishment. I mean, talk about feeling like that's not fair. That's not right. And so here's the situation Daniel finds himself in now. Verses 12 and 13. Because of this, because of their response, not only is the king mad he doesn't have an answer, now they're blaming him for their inadequacy as his counselors. And so because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Unfair, arbitrary, devastating. God, for, for three years... We separated ourselves as best we could from this fallen, broken culture. For three years, we fasted from their food and their wine at, at great risk to ourselves. We took that step, trusting you would see us through. God, we have held on for three years and been faithful to you. We've been ripped from our homes and you did all that to bring us here and be killed? What was it all for? Like, is that real to y'all at all? Can, can you feel that? Have you ever been there? This is the situation Daniel's in. Look at his response. Look at the very next thing that he does. 14 and 15 now. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Man, there is a lot happening in those two verses. First of all, this guy, Arioch, he's the captain of the Babylonian king's guard. Now, if that's not an intimidating enough position, his name means like a lion. So Daniel and the lion's den, we haven't made it there yet. Daniel's already facing his first lion right here. I can't imagine how strong and powerful and intimidating this guy must have looked like that showed up and said, now's your moment, son. Your death is imminent. And like a lion, I'm here to destroy you. I mean, that, that's what just came in the room. That, that might make you a little nervous. That might give you a little pause. That might be a little intimidating. This is the situation that he's in. And yet Daniel replies with prudence and discretion. Check this out. Prudence. 
Prudence has to do with the manner in which someone replies. So the way you reply, not just what you're saying, how you're saying it. In fact, the most literal translation of the word prudence, it means the upright and firmness of a tree. In other words, solid as an oak. Isn't that cool? Death is imminent. The lion is at the door. And Daniel's first response is to remain unshaken. To remain anchored like a, like a stout oak, like a strong tree. Friends, that sort of perspective can only come from someone who's been devoted to the Lord. Because when I'm devoted to the Lord, you know what that means? It means that I am familiar with him. I know what he's like. And also, I know who I am in him. I, I not only have a perspective of what he is like, I begin to get a perspective of how he views me. As we walk in devotion to the Lord and we get to know him, we get to understand who he is, what he's like, his character. And we understand our place, how much he loves us, how much he cares about us. That gives us a firm foundation so that whatever comes our way, we can stand solid as an oak. Not because I'm the strong oak, but because I'm on the firm foundation of the sure cornerstone that is Christ Jesus, my Lord. I can be firm. I can be steadfast because of who he is. And so his response is not to panic. He doesn't have to panic under the immense pressure and the devastating circumstances. He can hold strong. The second word is discretion. I love this. So not only does he respond with prudence, he's, he's just solid as an oak, it doesn't shake him. He's able to respond in a level-headed, even-keel way with confidence, but he has discretion. That word, it means good judgment. In fact, it means taste. The best description of this word, it means to be able to distinguish between flavors. I love watching the Food Network. I really get a kick out of cooking shows and it's fascinating what some of these people who are, are judging these competitions, the things they can taste and pick out that's, that's in the batch. It's kind of unbelievable. You know, all their senses are tuned to that though. Their palate is, their sense of smell, they can, they can just tell what's in there and they can kind of separate, oh, this is in there, that's in there. Here's all the ingredients that are going on. Why does that matter? Well, here's what it allows Daniel to do. It changes his perception of what's happening. That's, a, that's another uh, meaning of the word discernment. Judgment, perception, and kind of that fine-tuned palate. Taste. He can perceive what's really going on. You know what everyone else has heard? I'm gonna die! That's all they've heard. That's all they've heard. I'm gonna die. My life is about to be over. I'm in big trouble. But because Daniel had prudence and discretion, he could see through this to go, what is really going on here? And so he asks a question. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't panic. He goes, give me some insight. He says, why is the decree of the king so urgent? That word urgent, it means severe and urgent. <laughs> why is his response so strong? And why does it have to happen right now? Like what's going on? What's behind this? He's not begging for his life. He's saying, what's really going on here? And notice, because he responded that way, look how the lion of a man responded to him. Who's answering whose question? The lion, the captain of the guard is answering Daniel's question. He didn't have to explain himself. He's there on orders. My job's to kill you, the end. But because of that confidence that Daniel had, and he asked this question, he goes, hey man, what is going on? And, and it, it literally says, then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. He unpacked the whole story. See, the real issue isn't, 
I'm about to die. The real issue is the king needs an answer. That's the real issue. The king needs an answer. That's what's going on. And if we resolve the king having an answer, it will then take care of the circumstances I'm in. Maybe it's just me. But often, when I'm faced with difficult and trying circumstances, I am so aware of the immediate problem. But when we become devoted to the Lord and it shifts our perspective, where I can have that sense of being anchored in him, then I can begin to ask some bigger questions like, God, what are you up to right now? What's going on here? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? Do I just need to hang tight and hold on? Is there some step that you want me to take? Friends, if we can learn to, to step back in difficult circumstances and look to him and say, Lord, what's really going on? It could change our entire perspective of the situation we're in. But instead, far too often in my life, and I believe in many of our lives, our response is, I'm frustrated, discouraged, overwhelmed, disappointed, angry. And so instead of being drawn to him for answers, I pull back. I'm afraid, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, and I pull back and I miss out on the beautiful thing God wants to do right in the middle of difficulty. You know, miracles show up when there's a problem, which actually isn't entirely true because it's kind of a miracle that our lives are ever going well. Like when life is, is good and steady and solid, that's a miracle. We just don't acknowledge it as such. But the beauty of difficult circumstances is it can open our eyes to the miracle working God who wants to move on our behalf. And then maybe when things are going pretty well, we'll be able to hold on to some of that perspective. God, what a miracle that I'm walking healthy, settled in my job, thankful for my relationships. I'm in a steady, even place in life. God, what a miracle that I'm there. Thank you for your faithfulness when I've not been there. Thankful for your faithfulness right now today. Perspective. What's our perspective? Secondly, not only does devotion shift our perspective, but devotion's go-to move is prayer. You want to shift your perspective, it's right there. Devotion's go-to move is prayer. Daniel now has a sense of what's happening and he knows just what to do. Check this out, verses 16 through 18. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You may know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions. And he told them, to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. We need an answer to this question. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You see all that the prayer encapsulates? God, we need an answer to this ministry and us, ourselves, and all of our companions here, we need rescue. And so we're seeking him for help. That's Daniel's response. So I want you to see three things here related to prayer. Okay, the, the context of prayer here. Number one, there's boldness. There's boldness. He hasn't even prayed yet. He hasn't talked to God about this yet. Not only did he already have boldness to look at the lion of a man, but he has boldness to go to a king who says, you're out of time. I don't wanna be stalled any longer, off with their heads. And he has the boldness to say, can I have some extra time? Can I bring you an answer? Boldness, prayer emboldens us. The second thing we see about prayer, it's rooted in community. 
It's rooted in community. He goes home and he invites his friends in on the situation. There's a reason we practice this every Sunday. That's a a brief little moment in our service, but it should be an anchor point in all of our lives. And it is an anchor point in the life of this church. We pray and we do it together. We link arms and say, God, we need you. You be glorified, you be lifted high, you be worshiped. Lord, unless you build the house, we're laboring in vain. Prayer is rooted in community. Now, there, we could do a sermon, if not a sermon series on that. And we've, we've talked about prayer in the past. But I just simply wanna say, you know, at the root of prayer is, is relationship. Like prayer's talking to the Lord. And I love how he wants us to relate with, be in community with one another. And so prayer is this wonderful place where I can spend time communing with God. And when I link arms with other believers, we're doing it together. There's so much that brings disunity. What if we practice more the things that bring unity? Coming together in prayer is powerful and it's unifying. And friends, this is so cool to me. When I first started preparing for this series and I was looking up the word devoted, when the word devoted shows up in the New Testament, the overwhelming majority of the time where the word shows up, it is directly connected with God's people being devoted to prayer. I wanna give you a sense of this. I'm gonna do this quickly. I'm gonna show you three from the book of Acts and a couple from, a couple from Paul's letters. Acts 1.14, they're waiting on the presence of God to empower them and equip them to be who he's called them to be. And it says, all these with one accord, there's community and they were devoting themselves to prayer. They were in community, devoted to prayer. That word devoted in the New Testament, it means steadfast, faithful. It means continuing. There's a tenacity to it. There's a habitual nature to it. This is a part of who I am and what I do. And the body of Christ was called to do this in community. Acts chapter two, verse 42. So they go from the the 120 in the upper room to the church being born and 3,000 people getting saved. And now immediately begins to describe the atmosphere of these 3,000 members of Jesus' body now And it says they devoted themselves to some things. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to one of the things in the list is prayer. There's like two or three things mentioned. The word of God, being in fellowship with each other. They devoted themselves to consistent time together and they devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 6 verse 4. The leaders of the church, the people who were called to, to govern and bring oversight of the body of Christ they began to realize how busy it was to love and to serve and to take care of this church community. And so they began to invite other people in the church community to step up and serve and be a part of what was happening because they said, as the leaders, we can't neglect this, Acts 6-4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Before we go do anything, We've got to be in the presence of God. Now, Paul, Romans 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant, devoted. It's the same Greek word. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. I mean, this is like describing Daniel's response. Colossians 4.2, last one. Continue steadfastly, same word, in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Man, the only way I can possibly be thankful when things are difficult is by being in God's presence. The only way I can possibly be thankful is being in the presence of my friends. This morning we came in and y'all, I was, I was like frustrated to the max. I was already, I already knew we were coming into a hard situation this morning and we got in and like, you know, there's just a curtain right there. That's pretty simple. It took us five minutes to set up. 
But there was all this junk lined up along the wall in there. And it's like, you already won't let us use the hallway. And now the room we're going to gather and worship and has all this junk against the wall. I literally told Alex, I was like, man, I'm seeing red this morning. I am just, I'm hot. I'm mad. And so Alex is like, we need to stop and pray. And, and I'm going to butcher it a little bit. But in his prayer, he just prayed this little thing. He's like, Lord, even if we're seeing red this morning, would we see the red that covers your blood that covers. And it was just, I don't even know that he meant it this way, but it was a moment of conviction. <laughs> I was like, hey buddy, get your, get your sight right. And it's like, how inconvenient is it to set up a curtain? And honestly, we don't even need the curtain, it's fine. Like we're gathering to be in the presence of Jesus. We're gonna pray, we're gonna worship, we're gonna spend time in his word. There's people being persecuted for their faith right now. There's people hiding in whatever place they can possibly find to be dedicated to the fellowship of the saints, to the worship of God and prayer. Like brothers and sisters of ours are doing that right now. And I'm seeing red because of the inconvenience of some old copiers on the wall. But when we give ourselves to a community of prayer, Guys, it sets our sight right. It sets our heart right. It doesn't, it doesn't minimize the difficulty we're in. I can't stand it when people cherry pick verses from the Bible and throw them at you like a weapon when things are hard. That's not what I'm saying. We can be real. This is hard. Daniel said, let's seek mercy. We need help. But our eyes are on the king and we can link arms and do it together in community. So prayer, it gives us boldness. Prayer is to be anchored in community. And finally, you know, there's this beautiful dance between boldness and humility. See, prayer, in fact, is at the very intersection of boldness and humility. James talks about this in his letter, chapter four, verses five through 10. He's talking about things kind of being a mess and the turmoil that comes on and maybe even... Um, you know, disarray in our personal private lives, struggle with sin, but also even just disarray in the body, like we're frustrated with each other. Things just aren't going well. And he, he goes, hey, let's get our perspective back, back right. God wants us to be in his presence. He wants our attention. He wants our devotion. Look what he says, James 4, 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God longs to connect with us. Verse six, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's quoting from Proverbs there. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at all these words that then begin to describe how we can walk out humility. First one, submit. That's a humbling act, to submit to someone else's authority and leadership. I hate that. I wanna call the shots. I wanna make the decisions. Verse seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. How else do I walk in humility? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When I'm in charge, it's really easy to say yes to those temptations. Resist. Verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is the proper order. I have said in my life, God, where are you? And I, I think there's something real in a prayer like that. Like, that's okay, right? Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, it gives voice to feeling that sense of distance. But when Jesus prayed, he didn't stay there. The last thing he said was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm entrusting my life to you. And so that's humility. Draw near to him. He will be faithful. He will draw near to us. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I can be real when I'm down. That's part of this. But the other part of this is it's about your sin nature. It's about your flesh. It's about when you're off track, mourning the fact that like, 
man, my response is off. I'm selfish. And God, I'm heartbroken over that. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We already referenced this a little bit last Sunday, but, but see, Daniel comes in prayer and in humility, putting his life at the mercy of God. God, we're seeking your mercy and your direction in this situation. I'm not gonna try to solve this, find my way out of it. I'm trusting you. And he comes in prayer, in humility, and entrusts himself and his situation to the Lord. I said boldness and humility go hand in hand because here's the beauty. It's what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God's already extended mercy. My savior Jesus has made a way. I'm not coming in boldness because God owes me something or I've been really faithful and good and you know I've been walking the straight and narrow so he needs to answer this. No, no, no. I come in with humility, but also confidence. Not in myself, but in my savior. Jesus makes a way for me to draw near to God and the Lord draws near to me. And so Daniel and his friends committed themselves to prayer. And watch what happens next. Just the first half of Daniel 2, 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Prayer and rest go hand in hand. Prayer and rest go hand to hand. They are both an act of trust. It's what it is. We should continue steadfastly in prayer. We should give ourselves to that. But notice, Daniel doesn't panic and stay up all night going, oh, I don't have an answer yet. Guys, he went to sleep before he had the answer. Think about that for a minute. When he wakes up in the morning, if there ain't an answer, there's death. He went to sleep before he had an answer. They came to the Lord, they prayed, they sought God's mercy, and they tucked themselves in for a good night of sleep. The psalmist tells us that the Lord gives to his beloved rest, sleep. That's God's gift. It's an act of trust. Friends, we should pray and hang in there. But like, we can pray our prayers and then just rest in the Lord and trust that he's got it. And that's what Daniel and his friends did. And the Lord gives an answer. All right, I wanna close with one last little perspective here, all right? Perspective, prayer. Now I want you to see this. Devotion develops intimacy with God. That's what it does. Devotion develops intimacy with God. Now we should know this inherently um, just in thinking about relationships. Like when I'm walking in loving devotion with my wife and we tend that relationship, we spend time with one another, we extend grace to one another, we forgive one another. She tends to have to do a lot more of the forgiving in our relationship, but we forgive one another. It develops intimacy Guys, the same thing is true in our relationship with the Lord. See, proper perspective and prayer, it leads us to hearing God's voice. We begin to recognize his voice in our lives. We can hear from him. It develops intimacy. You know, we, we use the word prophecy. It's an important word and there's a lot to it. But at the simplest level, prophecy is, is God speaking some truth into our lives. Maybe it's for me, maybe it's to share with others. It's God speaking into our lives. I want, I want you to notice something here. Like there's something really cool in the scripture if we'll take note of it. Do you know who the two guys are in the scripture that are most known for having powerful prophetic 
revelation from God. It's Daniel in the Old Testament and it's John in the New Testament. Do you know what is unique about both of these guys? They are described as people who God loved. They had intimate love relationship with God. And a byproduct of that was divine revelation. Now that might sound really crazy and mysterious and weird, but like we know this, the people that we're most intimate with, guess what they do? They share with us their secrets. They let us into a place that others that we don't know as well would never let us into. Guys, the Lord is like that too. We develop intimacy with him. See, prophecy, revelation, hearing God's voice, it comes through loving intimacy with God. That legacy of revelation is built upon a foundation of loving intimacy. The apostle John was so bold about it when he wrote his gospel letter, he just referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) Now I can look at that as cocky or arrogant or prideful. I just look at it as a guy who is secure. He is rooted in the love God has for him. And he knew it. Well, that same thing is true of Daniel. Don't just take my word for it that Daniel was greatly loved. I want, I'm gonna read these off fast, but I want you to see this. In this, this own book, Daniel, it's mentioned several times. Daniel 9, 23. Each of these instances, he's receiving prophecy or a vision. In each instance, Daniel 9, 23. An angel speaking to him and says, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. You're greatly loved. God wants to speak to you. Next chapter, Daniel 10, verses 11 and 12. And he said to Daniel, said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. Daniel receives a message from God in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of a troubling situation, in the midst of seeking guidance, and it's rooted in a love relationship. And then finally, Daniel 10, 19. And he said to me, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. See, that's what love does. It casts out fear and it brings peace. Only the love of God can cause us to sleep in peace when facing certain death the next morning but Daniel was anchored in that. And so he was able to, as the verse says here, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Daniel was rooted in the love of God. His devotion had developed intimacy with God and the Lord would speak to him about what was happening, about what was going on. I want to close with these verses. So Daniel receives this revelation from the Lord and now watch his response to receiving revelation from God. Back to Daniel 2, 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. It didn't say Daniel ran and woke his friends up and told him, hey guys, I've got the answer. It didn't say he quickly went and strutted in and said, oh, king, I got this. His first response was to communicate his love and gratitude back to God. That's some loud rain right there, isn't it? (laughs) And so then he just, I just want to read this to you. He, He listened to him pouring his heart out to the Lord. He's trusted him. He's prayed. He's received revelation. And now he's just thankful that God has done this. Verse 20, Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. 
He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Now watch, he's declared in broad, in a broad sense, who God is, how incredible he is, what he does. And now he dress, addresses him in a very personal way. To you, God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. God could have given Nebuchadnezzar all the answers right up front. It could have saved a whole lot of trouble. It could have eliminated a whole lot of stress. But he gave Nebuchadnezzar this bit and he wanted to see if there was someone devoted to him that would entrust him for this. And because Daniel walked in intimacy and love with God, received this gift, glorified and praised the God that he loved, he was able to come and offer something that impacted the lives of many, including the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, who God is after that man's heart. And Daniel got to be a part of it. See, before anyone else knows anything, Daniel stops to glorify God. It's specific, it's personal, it's the language of love. I wanna close with just this silly example. Have any of you guys been watching the Olympics? So we've been enjoying that. We try to watch in the evenings as we're able. And one of the really bizarre things that they try to do, like for example, they'll take a swimmer right out of the pool and they're exhausted and can hardly catch their breath. And they put them on camera and it's bad enough they're interviewing them. But have you seen them do this thing where they're trying to show them a video of their family back home and get them to have a conversation with their parents, their spouse back home while we're all watching on live TV. And what's really fun to watch happen is it doesn't work. <laughs> they won't even really do it. They kind of just like refuse. It's just sort of like, oh, hey mom, love you. But they're like, tell them how you're really feeling right now. They just don't do it. You know why? We all don't get to be a part of that. They get to go home on the other side of everything they have gone through. I get to watch on TV for a few minutes. You know what it costs me? Nothing. Popcorn, laziness. I don't even have the first clue what it's cost them to win that gold medal, to win that silver medal, to not quite make it, but still be acknowledged but there are those who know. There are those who know them. They know the heartache. They know the struggle. They know the injuries they've, they know what it's cost them to get there. They know the moments of struggle and failure along the way. And you know, the rest of the crowd doesn't get to see that. They get to go home in their own good time and be face to face with those who love them and look each other in the eye and communicate things even beyond words. There's just understanding. Like, you know what it took. It, it cost you something to walk this road with me and support me. And you know what it's cost me to be standing here. And we can celebrate to, uh, uh, together in a way nobody can understand. They understand the beauty of tears of joy. Like, what is that? Why do I cry when I'm happy? Because it costs something to get there. Jesus was able to get through the journey of the cross for the joy that was set before him. But it still cost him. Friends, when we dare to live lives devoted to the Lord, we step into something that is mysterious and wonderful and beautiful. And friends, it's possible. Like, don't let this just be a sermon from the pastor. Well, he's got something special with the Lord I could never have. No, don't settle for that. Don't settle for Sunday attendance and just a religious experience and checking off the box. You are known and loved by God. 
And he's designed you to know him and to recognize his voice in your life. And he longs to draw near to you as we draw near to him. We were made for intimacy with God. And friends, being devoted means whatever the circumstances around me, my perspective can shift. And I can have my go-to response be to get in God's presence in prayer. Humbly, boldly, linking arms with other fellow sojourners. And as we grow and develop that relationship, little by little, step by step, moment by moment, we become familiar with the presence of God, with his voice in our lives. Prophecy isn't about, look at me, I got a word from the Lord, thus saith the Lord. It should be the most humbling thing in the world to hear from God and maybe speak some word of truth or encouragement into somebody's life. Someone who's truly walking in intimacy with the Lord wouldn't take that lightly and wouldn't use it as a place of pride. Prophet, official badge. Far be it. I get to know and walk with Jesus. I get to have intimacy with a God who loves me. Anybody want that? I do. I need to grow in this area. This isn't me preaching at you something I've got figured out. This is me saying to us, we need some help. (laughs) We got some room to grow, but we have a devoted God who loves us and he's calling us to be devoted to him. And there are beautiful things in store for those who choose to walk with God like that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your spirit that comes and refreshes and restores. Thank you for rain. Thank you for rain that brings new life. Lord, we need you. We need your presence. God, would you help us in whatever circumstances we're in as we purpose to live lives devoted to you? God, more and more would you shift our perspective. May we be people of prayer who come humbly and yet boldly into your presence, seeking mercy and grace in our time of need. Thank you for your great love for us. Help us step into this a little bit more even this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.